Please take your Bibles now and turn to Daniel chapter 6. We've come to the lion's den, Daniel 6. We're only going to look at the first 17 verses this morning of Daniel 6. I trust you'll understand why I selected that hymn we just sang in light of our scripture reading, How Firm a Foundation, Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. And this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then... These men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself, had set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command. They brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. 
And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Suppose you checked your online news tomorrow morning and there on the front page, the main page in bold capital letters is the headline, Worship and Prayer Prohibited for 30 Days. Worship and Prayer Prohibited for 30 Days. The headline grabs your attention. You begin to read the article. Sure enough, legislation has been passed forbidding you to worship or pray to anyone except the prime minister for a period of 30 days. Whoever is caught transgressing the law will face execution. Living in a free nation, such a thing may sound ridiculous to you. But suppose it was a reality. How many people would be here next Sunday? How full would this auditorium be? How many cars would be out there in the parking lot? How would you and I respond to a situation like that? How would it affect devotions in our homes and around our tables? How would it affect our daily lives? Would we be different people for 30 days? How much are we prepared to sacrifice for the sake of maintaining a relationship with God? Throughout the history of the church, Christians have had to face some very difficult decisions. At times, they have had to sacrifice all for the sake of Christ and the gospel. As you live the Christian life, brothers and sisters, you too may be faced with some extremely difficult decisions. The hymn writer said, shall I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? In the sixth chapter of Daniel, we have an illustration of God-given faith, courage, and obedience to the Lord at a time of great danger. This chapter is among the most well-known passages in all of Scripture. Many of us have heard the story read to us and re-read to us ever since we were two years old or even younger. I suspect it is the best-known episode in Daniel's life. By this time, Daniel was probably 80 years old. If you do the math, he had been brought to Babylon as a teenager. He lived through the reigns of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And now in the sixth chapter, he was serving under Darius the Mede, 80 years old. Throughout his life, Daniel had numerous tests. Wave upon wave of temptation came upon him. Satan tried to destroy his testimony in Babylon. But by the grace of God, he stood firm even under the threat of being cast into the den of lions. This morning, as we begin our study of this chapter, I want to direct your thoughts to three things that verses 1 through 17 reveal about Daniel. And may God use these truths to encourage you to faithful service and to strengthen you in your walk of faith. Number one, he was a distinguished governor. 
Number two, a despised governor. Number three, a determined governor. The narrative opens by describing a change of administration in the kingdom. The Babylonian Empire is now history. Belshazzar was defeated by the Medes and Persians, and Darius the Mede became the first ruler of the new dynasty at the age of 62. But even though there were massive changes taking place, by the providence of God, Daniel survived the transitions from one regime to the next. And with each administration, he maintained a high position of authority. When Darius the Mede took over Babylon at the end of chapter 5, Belshazzar was slain, but Daniel was not. Why not? Because God was protecting him. God's purposes for him were not yet complete. Brothers and sisters, it's good to remember that your days are in God's hands and you will not depart from this earth until your task, God's task for you, is complete. The number of your days are fixed by the Lord. Having taken over the Babylonian Empire, Darius began the task of reorganizing. Very little is known about him from the historical records. It seems as though he reigned for a very short time, for it was not long until Cyrus the Persian received the throne. At any rate, the opening verses of this chapter reveal how Darius restructured the government and his reason for doing so. He put the affairs of the empire into the hands of 120 satraps who were presumably appointed over the various districts of the kingdom. These 120 satraps were placed under the supervision and authority of three governors, administrators of whom Daniel was one. The satraps were answerable to these three governors. The three governors were then directly responsible to the king himself. And the reason for this kind of structure is stated in verse 2. What's the reason? So that the king would suffer no loss. Then, as now, politics was often used for the advancement of one's personal interests. We know from the history of Canadian and American politics that it can often be a corrupt and dirty business. Darius was not naive. He knew that a system of accountability was necessary to keep the officials from lining their own pockets, feathering their own nests, and doing damage to the kingdom. What Darius needed was a man of unquestionable integrity to put in charge of the whole administration. In Daniel, he found just such a man. Look with me in your Bibles, please, to verse 3. Verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. An excellent spirit was in him. An excellent spirit was in him. The king was fully confident that Daniel could be trusted. He was not the kind of person who could be bribed. Why not? Because the fear of God ruled his heart. The Holy Spirit dwelt within him. He was a man of moral excellence with an unblemished record. And it was obvious to the king that he surpassed the other two governors in wisdom and dependability. 
He was a living illustration of Micah 6, verse 8. Listen to the words of Micah. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Congregation, it wouldn't it be wonderful if there were more men like Daniel in Canadian politics. Men who act justly, who love mercy, and who walk humbly with their God. Wouldn't it be a breath of fresh air to have men in Ottawa with an excellent spirit, who stood with integrity, who determined in their hearts to be driven by biblical morality rather than political expediency. Those who focused on principles rather than pragmatism. Imagine a politician who says, my concern is not, first of all, what the voters want, but what God wants. My main goal is not to be reelected, but to be righteous and responsible. One day I have to give account to the ultimate authority. He put me in this place, and it is my desire to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with my God. We desperately need leaders in Ottawa today who are willing to stand with Christian integrity regardless, regardless of what may happen in their, to their political career. Men who love their God more than their position. Who love the gospel of Christ whose yes is yes and whose no is no. People who are determined to do what is right even when it might not be popular. People who are noticed for their blameless life, who fear God more than they fear the voters. Leaders who are more concerned about being good than looking good. Do you recall the uh, Bill Clinton scandal in the U.S.? At that time, there were many people who said, who cares about the president's personal life as long as the economy is doing well? How the president lives his life is up to him. What a sad and terribly mistaken perspective. Our country so desperately need people in leadership whose personal life and public life do not contradict men who are just as honest in front of the television cameras as they are in the confines of their kitchen and living room. Daniel distinguished himself among all the governors and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, because an excellent spirit was in him, the spirit of the living God. Pray that the Lord will position more Daniels in Ottawa, in Washington, and in places of leadership throughout the world. Perhaps God may raise up some of our young people right here to display the faithfulness of Christ, our Redeemer, in the realm of politics. So that's point number one, a distinguished governor. Secondly, although everyone could see that an excellent spirit was in Daniel, there were those who had little use for him. The distinguished governor was also a despised governor. A despised governor. The favor that the king showed Daniel was not appreciated by the other satraps and governors. They became very jealous and what did they do? Resolved to get rid of him. 
To accomplish this, they tried to find some flaw in him that would displease the king and disqualify Daniel from office. 120 satraps and two governors tried to find some dirt, some skeleton in his closet. But the more they searched for evidence against him, the more they confirmed his qualifications for office. Look with me in your Bibles to verse 4. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Brothers and sisters, what an incredible testimony to the godly character of Daniel. In the discharge of all his public duties, he was faithful and without fault. Ask yourself, what would be reported about you if the people at work held a magnifying glass and examined every detail of your performance? Could they dig up anything from your past, any skeletons? Would it be said of you that they could find no charge or fault because you were faithful? Or would they be able to accuse you of Wasting the boss's time, money, and resources. Only interested in your paycheck. Would they accuse you of coming late and leaving early? Would they charge you with laziness, negligence, or saying nasty things about the boss behind his back? Daniel could not be accused of anything, for he did his job as unto the Lord. His testimony at work was beyond reproach. Brothers and sisters, once again, Daniel's blameless conduct reminds us of whom? Doesn't he remind us of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Jesus' enemies were also envious and wanted to get rid of him. But no matter how hard they tried, they could find nothing against him. Even Pilate had to admit, I find no fault in him at all. The dying thief next to Jesus correctly said, this man has done nothing wrong. Congregation, you cannot live as Daniel lived unless the spirit of the risen Jesus dwells within you. You cannot display consistent, genuine integrity from the heart unless the Spirit of Christ has taken up residence within. Dwell in me, O blessed Spirit, how I need thy help divine. So Daniel's enemies had to find another way to accomplish their evil scheme. They decided that there was only one way to take him out. It would have to be in the area of his religious life. They had to put him in a position where he would have to choose between his God and his king, between the law of the Lord and the law of the land. Look with me to verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Isn't that a great statement? Isn't that a great statement? Wouldn't it be wonderful? And that could be said of every believer in Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, as Christians, we often seem to give people reason to accuse us. 
The world observes Christians and is very quick to point out our inconsistencies and shortcomings. Often sinners justify their own unbelief by pointing to the hypocrisy that they see in Christians. You know how that guy treats me at work? And he claims to be a Christian. You know how my neighbor acts? You know how he treats his wife? Do you know how he runs his business? And he goes to church twice every Sunday. I want nothing to do with that. Nothing. These satraps and governors were not able to do that. They were forced to admit that Daniel was without fault. So they got to work plotting a dilemma. Together they approached Darius with a proposal whereby they might supposedly honor the king. 122 leading men of the kingdom thronged before the king and said to him, verse 6, King Darius, live forever. Verse 7, have a look. Verse 7. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Notice, congregation, two things about this proposal. First, the suggested decree was deviously designed to flatter the king. The suggested decree was deviously designed to flatter the king. For 30 days, no one was allowed to pray to any god or man except to Darius himself. In other words, for 30 days, Darius would be regarded as the chief mediator between the people and the gods. Prayers presented to the gods would have to be made through his mediation. What did this mean for Darius? It meant that Darius was above all gods. He would be recognized as the sovereign one. The king must have been greatly flattered. He was hooked and reeled in. Just like Eve in the garden when Satan said to her, You will be like God. You will be like God. The idea appealed to Darius. No doubt the satraps and governors gave him good reasons for issuing the decree. It would serve to consolidate the kingdom. It would establish respect for the new monarchy. It would solidify the king's authority in the minds of his subjects. Many good reasons may have been given to persuade the king of the value of this decree. And the king listened to these ungodly men. Why? Because his pride blinded him to the trap that was being set. You see, brothers and sisters, flattery can have a terrible effect. It inflates a person's ego and blinds his judgment. Proverbs 26 says, a flattering mouth works ruin. And Proverbs 29.5 says, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Well, that's precisely what was happening to Darius. A net was being spread for his feet. Beware of the snare of flattery. The second thing I would have you notice about this proposal is the blatant lie that was given in the presentation. Did you notice that? 
Verse 7 says, have a look. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute. All? All? This was no accidental slip of the tongue. It was deliberate deception. It made it sound as though Daniel, the most prominent governor, was in full agreement, even though Daniel had no knowledge of this proposal whatsoever. If the king had not been intoxicated by flattery, he could have smelled a rat. Why was Daniel, the most prominent official, not there to endorse the proposal? But Darius was caught in their scheme. He fell to the temptation and signed the written decree. According to the custom of the Medes and Persians, it became law that could not easily be revoked. If he tried to do so, it would have caused a great uproar in the empire. The law of the Medes and Persians was not to be altered. Therefore, Darius unwittingly signed the death sentence against his most trusted and faithful governor. Which brings us to point number three. Daniel was not only a distinguished governor and a despised governor, but also a determined governor. Determined. What did he do when he heard that the irrevocable edict had been signed? Did he panic? Did he begin to think of ways to accommodate for the decree? What did he do, children? What did he do? Being an experienced government official, he knew what the king's decree meant. He knew that this wasn't just a little game. This was a life and death issue. For 30 days, he had to abandon his practice of praying three times a day before his open window. Give it up or be thrown into the den of lions. What would you do? It would be easy to say, well, it's, it's only 30 days. I mean, it's only 30 days. No one's forcing me to bow down to an idol, as was the case with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3. Maybe I can just stop praying publicly for a month. Just pray in my bed at night when it's dark. Maybe I can just pray silently in my heart in a seated posture so that no one will notice. It would be easy to come up with many excuses. If he was thrown to the lions, his influence on the kingdom would be gone. Why not just obey the king's decree for one month? After all, what's a month out of a lifetime? No big deal. The congregation Daniel did not reason in this way. He remained unshaken and unchanged. Follow along with me at verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, he locked himself in a dark closet where no one could see him. Children, is that what your Bible says? If it does, you have the wrong version. Look again. He went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. 
The king's decree did not change Daniel's devotional life one bit. He was determined to carry on. The threat of death could not deter him from doing what was right. Now, brothers and sisters, doesn't Scripture say that we are to honor those in authority over us? Doesn't Paul say in Romans 13, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities? Those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. As Christians, we're called to obey our leaders. However, when obedience to the governing authorities forces us to compromise our devotion to God, then the choice should be obvious. When Peter and John were commanded not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus, they chose to obey God rather than men. So it was in the case of Daniel. He had been faithful in every way to the king, so much so that his enemies could find no fault in him. But this decree went too far. It was unacceptable because it put Darius above Yahweh, something Daniel could never accept. Rather than submitting to the inalterable law of the Medes and Persians, Daniel chose to obey the inalterable law of Yahweh. He refused to put God below the king. He went home and prayed, willing to face the consequences. Now, congregation, before we go on, I want to draw your attention to a few significant aspects of Daniel's prayer life as revealed in verse 10. First, we see that it was Daniel's practice to pray with his windows open toward Jerusalem. Why did he pray toward Jerusalem? Scripture did not require this, did it? Because Daniel had not forgotten the city and the country from which he had been brought. He had not forgotten the promises of God to restore the nation and rebuild the city. He had not forgotten the temple in Jerusalem where God had promised to dwell in the midst of his people. He had not forgotten the place where atonement was made. Where the lambs were slaughtered and the blood sprinkled for the sins of the people. Where the gospel was visibly proclaimed. Whenever Daniel prayed, his mind was focused on the promises of God. The city of Jerusalem was a symbol of God's presence, power, promises, and pardoning grace. Whenever Daniel prayed toward Jerusalem, he must have echoed the words of Psalm 42. I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise. I used to go. I used to go. Or Psalm 84. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. As Daniel prayed toward Jerusalem, he undoubtedly recalled God's covenant grace and he was again strengthened in his task. The second thing I would draw your attention to with regard to Daniel's prayer life is his faithful consistency. His faithful consistency. Verse 10b says, Three times that day he prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Daniel had developed a regular, lifelong 
disciplined pattern of praying three times each day. He did not merely pray in times of emergency. No, he prayed on a regular disciplined schedule. No wonder he was such a strong, spiritual, godly man. As busy as his schedule must have been as top governor of the realm, Daniel did not neglect communion with his God. The excuse that many of us have for not spending more time in prayer is that we're too busy, right? We're too busy. Daniel was as busy as anyone, but he made it his priority. And his faithful consistency was a vital key to his success. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to be strong, committed, uncompromising Christians, then we need to spend time on our knees, daily communion with our God. And notice from the end of verse 10 that this was his custom since early days. Children and young people, think about that for a moment. The time to begin is now. Daniel developed good habits in his youth. Young people, if you want to be faithful in your senior years, it's very helpful that you begin right now. Right now. The good habits that you develop now could be a lifesaver down the road. And then the third thing that I would have you notice about Daniel's prayers is that they included both thanksgiving and supplication. Thanksgiving and supplication. Don't you find it amazing what we read in verse 10? Having heard the king's decree, Daniel went home, knelt down, prayed, and gave thanks. He gave thanks. How could he give thanks at a time like this when his, his life was at stake? Would you give thanks? Congregation Daniel must have understood what the apostle would later express in Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Even in this difficult and dangerous situation, Daniel was able to give thanks. Are we able to give thanks? Even in times of trial and testing, to give thanks when everything seems to be against you, when the carpet is yanked out from under your feet. Let us learn, brothers and sisters, not only to make supplication in prayer, but also to worship by expressing our gratitude for all that God does in our lives. Even those difficult tests are for your good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So we see that Daniel did not panic. He just carried on as usual. It seems he had learned in whatever state he was to be content. He went to his upper room and presented the whole matter before God. But of course, that is exactly what his enemies wanted him to do. They knew his character and they expected him to disobey the king's decree. They used his commitment as the means to ensnare him. 
We read in verse 11 that they assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Immediately, the plotters set in motion the steps that would lead to his execution. How they must have celebrated the successful unfolding of their plan. This was great. No doubt they commended each other for their ingenuity. Things were moving along very well. They could already foresee Daniel as food for the lions. They would be rid of him once and for all. The first step was to report him to the king. Verse 12b. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Then the conspirators revealed their evil designs. Verse 13. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who was one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Darius must have immediately felt a knot in his stomach. At the mention of the name of Daniel, he knew that he had been manipulated. They flattered him, lied to him, and got him to sign the inalterable decree. The king had made a fool of himself. He signed a document that he had not carefully considered, and now he faced the consequences. The most trusted man of the empire had to die according to his own decree. Verse 14 says, The king was greatly displeased with himself. He could see that there was something very special about Daniel. The king had absolutely no reason to destroy him, but his own law condemned Daniel. The king was greatly displeased with himself. He spent the rest of the day trying to find a way out of this terrible dilemma. He labored till the going down of the sun, searching for some legal loophole by which Daniel could be spared. But he could find nothing, nothing. Eventually, like a group of vultures, Daniel's accusers returned and reminded the king of what he already knew. The law of the Medes and Persians could not be changed. The king was powerless. If he did not follow through with the decree, it could create a disturbance in the empire, something Darius could not afford. And so he gave the command. And they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. While they were casting him in, the king said, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Whether the king really believed that Daniel would be delivered is doubtful. It was likely his way of expressing his last words of affection. And then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own ring so that any attempt to release Daniel would be a criminal offense. Daniel's enemies could return home smiling. Their mission was accomplished. Daniel was being torn apart. The stone on the mouth of the den was sealed by the king's ring. And righteous Daniel would never trouble their conscience again. So they thought. 
The congregation, while the plotters were returning to their homes to celebrate, who was the real victor? The risen Lord said to the persecuted church in Smyrna, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Daniel was faithful, prepared to lay down his life rather than compromise his commitment to God. As he was cast into the lion's den, he knew that he was in great physical danger. But he also knew that spiritually, he was in the best possible place. No danger whatsoever. Better to be devoured by lions for devotion to God than to live in a king's palace having denied God. Better to be ripped apart for obedience than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin having succumbed to the devil's temptations. Daniel knew that even if he died, he would live. Even if he was torn to shreds, he would triumph. The apostle said in Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Daniel knew that the lion's den was the safest place in the kingdom. Even if he died, it was the safest place, for he would be brought into the presence of his Savior. You see, Daniel was the real victor. Congregation, may God give us such confidence as we live the Christian life. The battle is the battle between darkness and light, the kingdom of Satan, and the kingdom of God. Throughout our Christian experience, our faith will be tested. Daniel was tested as a teenager. He was tested when he was middle-aged, and he was tested when he was 80 years old. You also will be tested. Young people, middle-aged, and elderly, tested in a variety of ways. Then let us make it our disciplined practice to be men, women, and children of prayer. Daniel prayed toward Jerusalem. But you can pray with your mind and heart fixed upon the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly Zion, where Christ is, where the blood has been sprinkled in the holy of holies, as it were, upon the heavenly mercy seat. Pray toward Jerusalem. And then as you live in daily fellowship with your God, even a lion's den, even a lion's den will be a place of safety. For to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I urge each and every one of you to look to Jesus, our Savior, our Defender, our Guide, 
and our eternal treasure. Could there be any greater security? Look to Jesus. Let us pray. Our gracious God, as we reflect upon these verses, we realize that there is really nothing new under the sun, that the political schemes and plots, all the politics, Lord, of Daniel's day we see today as well, different times, different ways that these things are expressed, and yet the wickedness of the human heart coming out, even as it did at the time of Daniel, so we see it today as well. And Lord, we do pray that you would make us men, women, and children of strong convictions. May we be men, women, and children of prayer. May the Spirit of the risen Jesus dwell within each and every one of us that people may look upon us and see that we are those who express in our daily walk that, that integrity of which Daniel was known, but ultimately integrity that comes from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the one in whom Pilate could find no fault at all. We pray, Lord, that you will raise up people today to stand unashamedly in the realm of politics. But, Lord, we recognize the need to be uh, those who display integrity in every area of life. And so we pray, Lord, that you will work in us and through us. We pray, Lord, that we would stand upon your truth even if there is a tremendous cost. We know the end of Daniel's story because we have it recorded on the pages of Scripture, but Daniel himself did not know what was before him. And yet, Lord, by your work within him, he remained steadfast, unmoved, and unshaken. And may we remain unmoved and unshaken today as well. Help us, Lord, to, to be able to discern when we uh, ought to obey those in authority over us and when we ought to disobey because of the greater authority that is over us. So Lord, teach us, mold us, shape us, make us more like your beloved Son. And may we be able, each and every one here, may we be able to confess to live is Christ and to die is gain. We thank you for the cross. Keep us, each one here, keep our attention fixed on the Lord Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.